غير مغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله وعلم أن فيكم رسول الله so, assalamu alaikum. MashaAllah, it seems like every week there's new people that come, which is a nice thing. The only challenge is sometimes we have to review things that people didn't understand. Like, for example, sometimes we'll make dhikr together. And we spent maybe like two or three of the last years talking about why we do that. But alhamdulillah, we're always happy for uh, new people to come. Um, and why we do the things that we do and so on. But it's all good. Alhamdulillah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 
Uh, I think that's almost a full moon. Where is it? MashaAllah. And I think last week we covered the hadith. Where he said, I looked at the moon and I looked at the Prophet wasallam, And by Allah, the Prophet was more beautiful to me than the moon. Uh, we talked about last week or the week before how we are in the month of Rabi' al-Awwal. The month of Rabi' al-Awwal is the month of the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Omar and Ayah, good to see you guys. MashaAllah. This is the unofficial yet official family seating zone, by the way. If you come as a family and you want to sit together, sit together. Inshallah, the world is not going to end if you come to an Islamic event and sit with your family. Um, so we talked about how this month is the month of the birth of the Prophet and we didn't really get into very much the whole like pseudo controversy around the Mawlid because sometimes it just gets tiresome to be honest um, but Alhamdulillah you know if you go by the position that the 12th is the birthday of the Prophet then that's tomorrow night. But the whole month is a month of celebrating the Prophet And we also remarked that sometimes like, it's really interesting in the community. You have people who are very anti-Mawlid, can't do anything. And then you have people who are like really pro-Mawlid to the extent that anything that doesn't involve singing songs doesn't count as a Mawlid. And, uh, you know, both of these are extremes. We mentioned that Sayyid Muhammad ibn Ali al-Maliki rahimahullah ta'ala talked about this idea that any gathering where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is mentioned, where his hadith is read, that's a, that's a, a molded gathering. That's a gathering recognizing the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So in celebration, in a sense, of Rabi al-Awwal, we've been going over this text on... 40 hadith taken from the Shama'il of Imam al-Tirmidhi Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah from Imam al-Tirmidhi radiallahu ta'ala anhu and uh, we left off on hadith number 14 we will do some songs and stuff today if Bara joins us after his game inshallah I was hoping Ibrahim would be here today but I didn't see him who sang last week and Zawar is not here either so we wait for Bara inshallah and uh, all will be well so, we left off on hadith number 14. And I, ha- I was saying before that. MashaAllah, that tea is good. That what we want to do when we read, especially a collection like this, is to really get a feel for who the Prophet them was. Uh, but we only have three sessions, so I can't say too much. We just kind of need to start. So, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad. First hadith, uh, hadith number 14. Bismillah ila Imam al-Tirmidhi radiallahu ta'ala anhu qal. Haddathana Qutaybat ibn Sa'id. Wa Bishr ibn Mu'adh. Qala haddathana Abu Awana. An Ziyad ibn Alaqa. An Mughirat ibn Shu'ba. Qala salla Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hatta antafakhat. قدماه فقيل له أتتكلف هذا وقد غفر الله لك ما تقدم من ذنبك وما تأخر قال أفلا أكون عبدا شكورا It's famous hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has narrated that he 
prayed so long in the night that his blessed feet swelled. His sweet his feet swelled because he was praying so much in the night. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When we were covering the Burda, the beginning of the third chapter of the Burda begins with the line. ظَلَمْتُ سُنَّةَ مَنْ أَحْيَا الظَّلَامَ إِلَىٰ أَنَشْتَكَتْ قَدَمَاهُ الدُرَّ مِنْ وَرَمِي That I uh, transgressed against the sunnah of the one who gave life to the night until the point that his ankles complained of swelling. So that's a reference, the line in the Burda is a reference to this hadith where the Prophet is described in this way. Uh, one of the big things about this hadith is that he وسلم, will give us guidance the Prophet وسلم, and the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran will give us guidance that speaks to various uh, people in different places okay so sometimes the person there's certain people when you deal with them the situation is that they're not going to stop whatever it is with they're doing without a threat without some sort of threat Sometimes some situations are like that. You know, not every single situation can be like the highest level of what's mentioned in the hadith. Some people, they're only going to stop if they have some sort of threat against them, right? This is the lowest level. It's just to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of fear of His punishment. Is it acceptable? Totally acceptable. If that's what you need, sometimes that's what you need. And a person might switch, by the way. Sometimes a person might worship Allah out of gratitude and out of love. And then they'll be going along and then their life is fine and everything is good. And then they'll start to like, maybe something will come to them where they need to really have some fear. And then they, they emphasize that fear that, okay, like yeah, the love thing was, was great. Alhamdulillah, the gratitude thing was great. And right now I need to fear Allah because this thing is very dangerous. Okay? So the first level is worshiping Allah out of fear. Second level is to worship Allah out of want for reward. This also is, happens, right? Sometimes people, the only reason they'll do something is because of the reward. And again, you know, all three of these possibilities can come in. The third one will come to. But uh, if you have a system that only has one, you're going to have a problem. If you have a system that only has one, you have a problem. So my assess- one of my assessments, for example, of the educational system now, we have a big problem in America. The big problem is over the last 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it's been, what is the reason why anyone does well in school and does, goes to a good college? vast majority reason why someone goes to school and does well. Because they want to go to a good college, because they want to get a good job, and they want to make good money. It's basically what it comes down to, right? That's the messaging. You get all of your education. Now, being someone who has a family and is getting older and has expenses and stuff, there's, especially for the brothers, you have to, you know, that's your primary responsibility. There's very good reason why you were taught this. <laughs> it's a very, very good reason why you were taught this. But what happens if you have now a system where people are like, well, I get into a good university, I worked really hard, and still there's no good jobs. But I see like some of these people on YouTube, they have a bunch of followers, they're making crazy money. And there's this influencer on TikTok that's making all this money and so on and so forth. Now you have zero motivation. Like your only motivation was actually the reward. It wasn't because... There's an intrinsic value to learning, right? We believe as Muslims that there's an intrinsic value to learning. We don't just study to get a good job. We study because Allah is khaliqu samawati wal ard. That Allah created everything. And everything that we study, we get to know Allah deeper. We get to understand Allah better, right? And we get to know ourselves better. 
and we grow and we become better human beings. That's the primary motivation for learning, actually. If you take away that one, and you take away uh, the reward, and in some ways you take away the punishment because they're like, you know, I graduated, I'm making the same thing as the person who didn't graduate. So even the punishment is kind of mixed up now. So there's no interest at all in education. I mean, you go into classrooms, it's really disturbing sometimes. Uh, there's, there's no, like, desire to just learn for the sake of learning. Um, and to become better people, right? So the second layer is to do it for the reward. Third layer is to do it just because, out of love, out of gratitude, out of some sort of greater concept. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam here, they're saying, Ya Rasulullah, they're coming to him from the perspective of the one that is worried about either the punishment or the reward. They're coming to him and they're saying, Ya Rasulullah, you put yourself through this when you're already forgiven. Like, there's nothing, you don't have to worship like this. And the Prophet Wasallam is telling them, like, that's because you're looking at it from this angle. That's not the angle I'm looking at it from. You're right, I don't have to do this. But I want to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Out of my love for Allah, I'm going to pray every single night. Even if my ankles start swelling, I'm going to pray because I love Allah that much. So this is a higher level of how we engage with things. This applies to a lot of things actually. In many ways, like the whole positive discipline stuff. A lot of it is kind of tied to this, right? There's no, there's no reward, there's no punishment. It's you're developing within the person this kind of like intrinsic desire to do what's right and you're developing in them in that way. There's a connection there. Uh, but all three of these kind of work together depending on circumstances and people and societies and everything else, okay? Hadith number 14. Hadith number 15. Abdullah bin Sa'ib reported, <coughs> sorry, Ibn Sa'ib reported, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would offer four units of prayer shortly after the sun passed its zenith. So the sun comes to its zenith, right after it passes its zenith, the time for Dhuhr enters, right? It's the beginning of the time for Dhuhr prayer. The Prophet wasallam used to offer four rak'ah right, right after the sun passed its zenith, meaning right before the time of Dhuhr, meaning the time where they prayed Dhuhr, not the time of Dhuhr itself. Okay, so just in the beginning of the time of Dhuhr. And he said, it is a moment when the doors of heaven are opened. So I love that the righteous actions ascend for me during that time. Sidi. Assalamu alaikum. It is a moment when the doors of heaven are opened. So I love that the righteous actions ascend for me during that time. This is a kind of... Uh, there's something that we believe, right? The most foundational level, something that we believe is similar to what I just said before. Some things are very clear, we understand them by our mind. You know, there's a benefit to this, there's a harm in this, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. I can very clearly understand why this is the case. Part of revelation at some level is recognizing that there are also things that we will get from the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What's up? Oh yeah, I forgot. Thank you. Tawbah, Tawbah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ahlam and Marcus. So, whoever's on the live stream and the recording and stuff, you missed a hadith. Manish. You missed hadith 14. You can go to the audio recording when it goes up. You'll find it. If you're really that committed. 
Hadith 15. So the Prophet وسلم, is telling us here about something that there's no way we can know that otherwise. Another hadith, we're going to see the same similar thing for Mondays and Thursdays. Some are like, oh, well, why is that? That doesn't make any sense to me. You're right, it doesn't make any sense to you. There's no way it can make any sense to you. It's a matter of the unseen. You're being told it. Like the Prophet tells us that there's a day of judgment and there's scales on the day of judgment. So that doesn't make any sense to me. How can there be a scale and all these people and they're bringing their deeds and like their deeds get there and they're weighed and it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. It doesn't actually have to. What has to make sense is, why do I believe that the Qur'an is true? What has to make sense is, why do I believe that the Prophet was a Prophet of God? Why do I think that this thing that I'm being told is actually from the Qur'an or from the Prophet If that's the case, it's sufficient. So the Prophet says that after the time the Lord comes, he likes to pray for Rakah because that's a time when the doors of heaven are opened and he wants his deeds to... He wants to do good things in that time. Okay, alhamdulillah. It's not a... You just do it. That's okay. There's a level, there's a level at which there is submission. Hadith number 16. And that's a big topic. It can be, of course, spent a lot of time. Connected to this. Hadith number 16. Uh, عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال تعرض الأعمال يوم الاثنين والخميس so he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, deeds are presented before God, meaning before God, on Mondays and Thursdays. So I love that my actions be presented while I am fasting. I love that my actions be presented while I am fasting. Again, it's kind of similar, right? He's telling you this, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What do you take from it? You take from it that the Prophet them, even though he's the Prophet of God, even though he's the greatest, not only human being ever, he's the greatest of all creation. them, And he's saying, it's Monday and it's Thursday, these deeds are presented to Allah, I want to be fasting when that happens. Hadith number 17, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu reported Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad One of the things I think you see from the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that his religious practice and his example with his community Sidi, Sidna Umar Ta'al Sat down you're not in timeout. Tawadda. It's okay. He's just making dhikr in his way. It's all good. Sallallahu uh, alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's religious practice and his engagement of his religious practice with his community was not theatrical. It was real. Okay? You see that in all these different hadith. It was a real, actual religious experience. It's not like the guy who's the Prophet them, and everyone's just watching this show unfold. And he's like an actor or something, right? He's living and he's, he's breathing them, the religious experience, his relationship with God, 
with his people Look at this hadith, it's so beautiful You know what, many people maybe are familiar with it Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu Qala qala li Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Iqra alayya Iqra alayya Faqultu Ya Rasulullah Aqra'u alayka wa alayka unzil Qala inni uhibbu an asma'ahu min ghayri Faqaratu surat al-nisa Hatta balagtu Wajitna bika ala haulai shahida Qala Faraaytu aynay Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Tahmilan Abdullah bin Mas'ud reports The Messenger of God said to me Recite to me Recite to me Recite to me the Quran I said Abdullah says I said O Messenger of God Shall I recite to you when it is to you To whom it was revealed He said I'm going to recite the Quran to you The Quran was revealed to you Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam like, he feels kind of shy to do that, right? Like, uh, how can I do that? And the Prophet ﷺ told him, I love to hear it from other than myself. I love to hear it from other than myself. So I recited from the chapter of An-Nisa. Some people maybe can recognize this. Sometimes, like, when you're the one who's doing the thing, it's harder for you to really kind of get into it. Right? It's harder for you to get into it. You're leading Salat, it's harder than when you're not leading Salat. And uh, when you're teaching, it's harder than when you're not teaching. Sometimes you just want to listen. Um, but then if you listen, then people are like, well, why isn't he teaching? He should be teaching. Because <laughs> sometimes you just want to listen. I love to hear it from other than myself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I recited, Abdullah says, I recited from the chapter of An-Nisa, the women, the fourth chapter of the Qur'an, until I reach the verse, and we bring you as a witness over all these. And we bring you as a witness over all the peoples. 42nd verse of chapter 4. He said, And then I saw that the blessed eyes of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, were streaming with tears. He looked up and he saw the Prophet وسلم, was crying from listening and from also this verse. And he's brought as a witness over everyone. I may have mentioned this before one time when I was reading this I got to thinking to myself I wonder how long that is right like I wonder how long the Prophet ﷺ was listening to him right it's not like he told him recite to me he was like okay I'll recite he's like Bismillahirrahmanirrahim inna a'atainaka al-kawtha and they finished in like 10 seconds right Surat al-Nisa started reciting. How long did you recite? So I went to like, you know, different reciters. I tried to see, okay, you get up to here. What's the length of the thing? If I remember correctly, it was like in the range of 20 to 30 minutes. It, took, it was some time. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was listening to him. Listening to him. Just enjoying the Qur'an. It's very beautiful. He feels also the weight, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of being the witness over the people. And, you know, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is a witness over the people. And the people who come later are witnesses over people who come later. So there's an idea, for example, that people will come 
on the day of judgment and they'll say why did you, why didn't you tell us about Islam like you were we we knew each other we like how come you didn't tell us how come you didn't tell me how come you didn't tell me to worship one God how come you didn't do this how come you didn't do that or maybe other people who do really ugly and disgusting things in the name of Islam will come and it'll be said to them like why did you do this like I'm a Muslim you made me hate Islam in a sense, like I, I love Islam, but you also made me hate Islam because you do such ugly things, and you were this and you were that, and so on and so forth. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, the day of judgment is scary. Allah protect us. I also believe very firmly that the day of judgment will be a day of tremendous surprises. It's scary, but I also think there's going to be a lot of surprises. Things people assumed didn't turn out that way that they were assuming. Allah protect us and forgive us. This is why you see also part of like one of the things that's emphasized all throughout Muslim history. Great, great people, great scholars, great people of knowledge, so on and so forth. Their biggest concern is their love for the Prophet Because they're like, this is the only thing that's going to help me. If I'm honest with myself, like all of my shortcomings, all of my problems, everything else. Like if I'm relying on my own deeds, it's a lost cause. But the Prophet loved us more than we loved love ourselves. And I'm just trying to love him. And, you know, Ya Rabb, inshallah, that will, that will be of benefit. Inshallah, the Prophet wasallam will come and say, this person was from my ummah. Yeah, they did this and they did this and they did this, but like, they still loved us. He still loved us. She still loved me. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Hadith number 18 Muhammad al-Baqir reported radiallahu ta'ala anhu from the great imams that Aisha radiallahu anha was asked what was the bed of, mes- of the messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wasallam inside your home she replied it was from tanned hide and its stuffing was of palm tree fiber <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes you just read things and you think like, there goes the entire industry. You know? Like, think about, like, you're going to see what I mean in a second. But beds are a huge industry. Right? Like, mattresses are a huge industry. There's this mattress and there's that mattress and there's this size and there's that size and there's this, there's these coils and there's these other coils and then there's these things that are not coils and then there's, I don't know what else. It's probably like all kinds of things. Huge industry, right? She replied, it was made from tanned hide and its stuffing was of palm tree fiber. Hafsa was asked, different wife of the Prophet What was the bed of the Messenger of God in your home? She replied, a coarse woolen blanket that we would fold in half and spread out for him to sleep upon. One night I I said to myself, if I fold it four times, it will be more comfortable for him. They used to fold it. So if I fold it four parts, it'll be more comfortable for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When the Messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, woke up the next morning, he asked, what did you spread out for me last night? This is not, we have to be careful when we read things, what kind of tone we read into that. Right? Like you can read any number of different tones into this question. Right? Maybe, and, and oftentimes what we read into things is very much related to our own personal experiences. 
And this is why in commentaries on hadith and stuff, they'll, they'll very commonly make note of these things. Because you have to be careful, you're going to read your own experience. So like maybe someone is raised in a household or engages in a household where the dad is like really harsh. Speaks to the mom in a really harsh way. So they come and they read this and they see he woke up in the morning and he asked, what did you spread out for me last night? And they're going to read this as like su'al istinkar or su'al like, like the kind of question where the person is angry or the kind of person where the question is blaming the other person, right? We should, I, I, don't, I don't think that that would be correct in light of the body of the life of the Prophet to read the hadith like that. You can just read it as a regular question. Just asking. At least leave it neutral. Just asking, okay, what did you put out? She replied, radiallahu anha, your bedding, except I folded it four times and said to myself that it would be more comfortable for you. He said, again, watch the tone that you read into it. He said, refold it as it was before. Its softness kept me from prayer last night. So they folded it, made it a little bit more comfortable. And when he woke up, he said, actually, you know, can you not do that next time? Because it was so comfortable that I didn't pray as much in the night that I would normally pray. Or maybe he missed it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he asked her to do it differently next time. Again, there's all kinds of tones you could read into this. Be very careful. Uh, even culture sometimes very much differs. You know, uh, one thing, common conversation I have with my wife, I don't know if the other Afghans will agree, but one of the things that we talk about in, in like, what we've seen for many times the way sometimes Afghans will speak, especially in native languages, like Farsi or Pashto or whatever. It's very certain. Like the language is very straightforward. It's very, like, if you understand it in its context, it's not necessarily that the person is saying 100% this is the way that it is. But sometimes when you translate it, you understand it like, oh my God, really? Like, like I, there's things that my wife has said to me before, and it's a translation from Farsi, like early in our marriage. And to me, like now in my head, it's still like a really big thing. But then you look at the practice and you're like, maybe the practice, like maybe I'm understanding from it, not what other people are understanding from it. Right? But there's subtleties into the ways that, the way that language is understood. So one of the great challenges of dealing across cultures and languages and stuff. It's really difficult, actually. So many misunderstandings happen. So, point is, uh, don't read into the hadith. Maybe something that might not be there. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Hadith number nineteen. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu taala anhu reported. A woman came to the Prophet and said to him, I have a need to ask of you. She came to the Prophet she said, I, I need something from you. He told her, sit in any street of Medina you wish and I will come and sit with you. I was talking to an imam, another imam on the way up here and one of the things that he was mentioning to me is he was saying that one of the things he's seen over and over and over again is that a lot of the like doubts and issues that people have with their Islam goes back to the way that women are treated in the Muslim community I was like yeah it's true and we started talking about it and stuff I mean it's very common 
like it or not, it's very common, like in a Muslim community, that you might have like an imam or a religious teacher, and the woman can never, like practically speaking, the woman can never actually talk to him. Now this is the teacher. We were talking about how one masjid that some people grew up in, just leave it anonymous. There, they used to have the women's section was upstairs, right? The men's section is downstairs, and uh, you might have a lecture or something. The women stay upstairs, and if the women have a question to the speaker, they write it down on a piece of paper and they throw it over the balcony, and someone picks it up and takes it to the speaker. You have other the the the, the most absurd. The most absurd extension of this actually, oftentimes, is when women take shahada with the imam on Jum'ah. And you have like all of the women in one place, and all of them, like a sea of men. And then you bring like this woman up in front of all these men, she can't even see any women. It's like, there's a lot of absurdity. She comes to the Prophet them. she tells him, I need something from you. He tells her, it's very clear. He tells her, sit anywhere you like in, this, in the areas around Medina. I'll sit with you. There are some subtle things to take from the hadith, by the way. There, were, there are hadith where people came to the house of the Prophet and they asked him questions, women, so on and so forth. Other people were there, obviously. Um, but like one of the things that you, that you can see in this hadith actually is that he's telling her like pick a place that's comfortable for you it can be kind of like semi-public and still have privacy and we can sit and talk it's interesting right because obviously there are limits on the way that the interaction goes it's not going to be like you know let's go to this place nobody else is around and have this really intimate conversation or something we don't do that but he tells her go pick a place Sit however, it's interesting because like in chaplaincy you have all of these conversations In counseling you have these conversations About like the importance of how you set up the room How do you set up the interaction? How does the person sit? Like One of the questions I used to think about in ICOI Tell me, I use it, I'll use it as an example because people have seen it you know, I don't know if the multi-purpose, I don't know what the setup is anymore But in those days people used to come out in and out of the multi-purpose room all the time and The imam's office is there, right? Generally, you have a question like, do you set up the, de the desk in the office such that when a person comes, like when they look in the door, do they see the imam or do they see the person talking to the imam? And you can kind of frame it in different ways, like which one is better. There's different ways you can think about it. But if you make it such that the person who's sitting there, everyone sees, they're the one that gets seen when people walk through. Then that means like if they're having a conversation where they start crying They're having a conversation maybe where like they didn't want people to know maybe that they were talking to you Whatever, they're the one that gets seen But if the desk is set up so that the imam is the one who's sitting in front of the door Someone comes and walks by and they're trying to get their attention You tell them like no, stay there So like there's different ways you can The point is He tells her Pick any place in Medina that you want to sit And I'll come and sit with you and we can have the conversation Which brings us to an extremely long hadith And a very, 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 very incredibly beautiful hadith Which is hadith number 20
right? Yeah, 20. Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhuma reported. I asked my maternal uncle Hind ibn Abi Hala, who was skilled in describing features, about the beautiful description of the Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa I desired for him to describe some of his features to me, so he said, The Messenger of God وسلم, was magnificent in himself and was magnificent in the eyes of others. His blessed face shone like the light of the full moon on a moonlit night. And then it's dot, dot, dot. That was the hadith we covered before, right? That was the beginning of the one that came before. Then it continues. Hassan says, I concealed this from Hussein for some time. They're brothers, right? He says, I concealed this from Hussein for some time. Later, when I narrated it to him, I found that he had beaten me to it. He asked him, meaning Hind, about the same things I asked about. On top of that, I discovered that he had asked his father, their father, Sayyidina Ali, Karamallah about the Prophet's character inside and outside his home, and about his features, and he did not omit a single detail. So he says, I got this. I didn't tell my brother about it for a little while. When I went and told him, I found out he already got this, and he got more. So he asked him, what, what is that? So Hussein says, He said, I asked my father about how the Messenger of God وسلم, was when he would enter his home. He said, When he entered his home, he would divide his time into three portions. A portion for God, a portion for his family, and a portion for himself. Then he would take the portion that was for himself and divide it between himself and the people, giving it to the elect over the common folk. He would not keep anything from them. His conduct in the portion for his ummah was that he would give preference for the people of merit by his permission and would apportion his time among them according to their virtue in the religion. We have kind of like an extreme socialist tendency, Marxist tendency sometimes in our community when it comes to this kind of stuff. People will hear this, they're like, well, why is he giving precedence to the elect over the common folk? There is a reality of human existence. That reality of human existence is that some people have more responsibility and more privilege than other people. It's reality. Some people's lives are going to be extremely affected by other people. And some people are going to be the ones whose lives, whose decisions really affect other people's lives. The Prophet now is taking his own personal time in his home and deciding how he's going to give that time to other people. And he decides that he's going to give that personal time in his home to the people who are in positions of authority and power. In, because of their relationship in the religion. okay. Because there's a recognition that if I give extra emphasis to this person, it's going to affect a hundred other people's lives. That's not discrimination. That's just practicality. Okay? So, again, be careful how we understand these things. So he would give them extra things. Some of them needed one thing. Others needed two things. And others had many needs. He would occupy himself with their needs and keep them busy in things that would bring benefit to them and the ummah. This is a really simple yet extremely profound sentence. 
right? It's really hard to do, subhanAllah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would occupy himself with their needs and keep them busy in things that would bring benefit to them and the ummah. Those people are coming to him, they want to do things. He'd keep them busy in things that are going to bring benefit for themselves and for people. So keep them busy in good things, keep them busy in good things. So they don't go and spend their time in everything else. It's the way time is, right? Either you put it in something useful, you're going to put it in something. So Imam al-Shafi, he said, radiallahu an, that uh, time is like a sword. If you don't cut with it, it cuts you. And you're like, you go and do it, you do something useful, or else it's just going to take away from your life. It's going to keep getting spent in things that are useless. He would respond to their needs and inform them of what they should do. He would say, let those present among you convey to those who are absent. Apprise me of the need of the one who is unable to apprise me himself. For whoever apprises the leader of the need of one who is unable to convey it, God will make his feet firm on the day of resurrection. It's really beautiful, right? Because don't forget, the Prophet ﷺ is also uh, responsible for the distribution of resources, right? Like he's not just a, a teacher. He's, he's, the, he's the Qadi, and he's the Mufti, and he's the Imam, and he's the, and he's the Muballigh. He has different roles, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That he's the leader of the state, he's the judge, he's all these different positions, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they bring the money to him, he distributes the money to the people who need it. Up to today, by the way, this happens in many places. Up to today, this happens where like, America is very complicated. I, st I, don't, I don't even know how this would happen. But, you know, tax receipts and donations and monitoring and like how do you keep track of it and so on and so forth. But in many places still, people believe that someone's a righteous person. They'll just go to them and give them the money and say, do whatever you feel you should do with it. Some people are like, well, this lends to corruption, it lends to this, it lends to that. It's your responsibility. Don't just trust some random person. It's your responsibility. But trust someone who's trustworthy. And if you give it to them, you let them do whatever they want with it. Even in America, I know imams like this. I know one imam, when I was studying overseas, when we were studying overseas, I met him one time in Ramadan. And he pulled me to the side, and he said, Jamal, come here. And I said, what, what's going on, Shaykh? And he opened like a safe in his office. And he said, this is money people from the community gave me to distribute. And you're a, you're a student of knowledge, you guys don't have any money. This is for you. Yeah, Bismillah. I was like, wow, subhanAllah, okay. <laughs> is there corruption that can happen from this? Of course. But also sometimes like, there's a lot of benefit that's lost too when there's, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a tough thing. Please don't bring me a lot of money. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, we have people that can do that stuff. I'm not asking you to do that. Please don't bring me money. Uh, and the Prophet them, like he would distribute things as soon as he got them. It wouldn't stay with him. Like he knew his people, he can get rid of it very quickly. Uh, there's a story that I read one time about a modern person. Uh, the Jalani one, Habib al-Saqaf. The what's his name? Where is Ustaz Fuad? 
someone must know. Who is a contemporary of Habib Ahmed Shur al Haddad? Habib Abdul Qadir al Sakaf? Anyways, you don't know, so it's okay. This person used to have a majlis. People would come, they, they need things. People come, sit down, they talk to the Shaykh. Shaykh listens to him, says, okay, call so and so, do this and that, let me do this. Fix That's what they do. So, what the Shaykh would do. It wasn't that they were always lecturing, they were helping people with things. So, someone came to him, like literally a duffel bag full of money. They're like, Shaykh, this is for you, do whatever you want with it. He's like, Barakallah Fikum, takes the bag. Tells the person with him, like, put this on the side somewhere. They put it on the side somewhere. Some time passes, another person comes, another person comes, another person comes. Then another person comes, they need something. They need some money. So he tells them, give me that bag. Takes the bag, puts it in front of the person. Tells them, go ahead, take this. Yeah, he never looked at the bag, actually. He doesn't really know, like, uh, he just knows, like, generally, this is probably what this person needs. Like, it's not going to stay with me. Point is, like, he didn't, like, okay, I need to take, I'm from the Amilin Aleha. <laughs> I'm from those who are working on the distribution of the zakat. I need to take 75% and we're going to give 5 and then the 20% is going to go to the other overhead and 5% will get to the people in need. Literally this stuff happens. You know, we're, we're responsible for how we also, for how we, uh, who we give our money to. I have no idea why I'm saying this. Let those present among you convey to those who are absent, apprise me of the need of the one who is unable to apprise me himself. For whoever apprises the leader of the need of one who is unable to convey it, God will make his feet firm on the day of resurrection. This was all that was mentioned in his presence, and he would accept nothing but this from anyone. Meaning whatever came to him was good. Like in his gathering, this is good, we're bringing good here, we're helping people, we're taking care of things, not anything else. They would enter as seekers. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. They would enter as seekers and only disperse after having tasted something, leaving as guides meaning guides to goodness sallallahu alaihi wasallam so they come to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam seeking something from him sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they only leave they leave they're ready they're ready to guide to good they go and they do whatever good they do sallallahu alaihi wasallam and hussein then uh, he hasan said then i i hussein or hussein said then i hussein asked him ali how the messenger of god sallallahu alaihi wasallam was when he left his home and what he would do so so far we only got what he did in his home, Now, what was he like when he left his home? He said, the Messenger of God, وسلم, would hold his blessed tongue from speaking about anything except what concerned him. He would bring the people together and would not cause them to scatter. He would honor the nobles of every folk and appoint them over their people. He will know the kareem of a people. Kareem al-qawm. Well, this is the kareem of the qawm. And you put them in charge, sallallahu alayhi wa Who are they? Are they the alim al-qawm? Are they the qawi al-qawm? Are they the aziz al-qawm? You know the kareem. Who is the person who has noble, good character, who's generous? He put them in charge of the people. He was cautious of people and on guard with them, though without denying any of them his cheerful countenance and good character. It's a very interesting description. You have to go read this like 30 times. 
He would inquire about his companions when they were not around and ask the elect about the general welfare of others. So if there's people he didn't see them, he would ask about them. How is so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? What's going on with them? Are they doing okay? Is there anything we can help them with? So on and so forth. And the people who he knew who were like the connectors, so to speak, right? Like the people who, if you hit this person, you hit 50, right? There's always people like that. You read uh, Tipping Point, right? Some of you have probably read Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. He talks about that, different types of people that are in communities and stuff. There's people that are connectors. They connect everything. So ask them about them. What's, what's going on with your, like, what's going on with your people? What's going on with your people? It's before everyone was friends with everyone on Facebook. <laughs> he would praise what is beautiful and strengthen it. And he would condemn what is ugly and weaken it. If you want to know what someone thinks about something, it's okay to ask them. Don't make assumptions. Don't hold on to things inside of yourself. If you're wondering, like, okay, what does so-and-so think about such-and-such? Ask them. See what they say. Go to the person. Ask them. Do you believe that imam should be having secret marriages, not telling anyone about it? I hope they say no. I mentioned this before We have madhabs for a reason You give fatwa in a certain way Historically You give fatwa in a certain way They take you in the square They beat you Some of these people that go around They say oh You know You, can, you don't need a wali to, be, to get married According to Abu Hanifa And according to such and such Random shahad opinion That's not even true You don't need witnesses So we could just get married Without witnesses And without your parents knowing and what happens to the person? You take them to the courtyard and you beat them. Is this, is this according to modern sensibilities what you should do? Maybe you guys don't like that. I personally think that would be a really useful thing to do. If you want to know my opinion on this. And then you go with people and you talk to them and they say, No, there's difference of opinion. There's difference of opinion on the wedding. There's difference of opinion on the witness. Okay, fine. Is there a difference of opinion on both of these put together? Absolutely not. This is ijma. It goes against everything in Islam. This is the entire point. Uh, people are messing around in fiqh, don't know what they're doing. It's the entire point of the issue of talfiq. That you don't take opinions from random places and put them together to come up with something that's absolutely invalid according to everyone forever and all of history. And then they call themselves imams. Calm down, drink some tea. <laughs> His was, uh, online people, I think I lost you on this. His was the balanced course. He never swerved from one extreme to another. His was the balanced course. He never swerved from one extreme to the other. I know it's getting late. We're going to close, inshallah. And we're going to hear from Barat and maybe Ibrahim, inshallah, to celebrate the birthday of the Prophet them by making some salawat and singing some songs. And if people don't like to do those things, alhamdulillah, you can, you know, I don't mean this in a mean way. 
course you can go. So no one's going to look down on you. Be like, oh, why didn't they stay? Do whatever you're comfortable with. He was never remiss, fearing that others might become remiss or wary. He was prepared for every possibility. He neither neglected a right... Look at these descriptions. They're such beautiful, remarkable descriptions. He neither neglected a right, nor did he exceed it. Those who were close to him were the choicest of the people, and the most virtuous of them in his sight were those whose sincere counsel was most generally beneficial. Amazing description. The people that he loved most, sallallahu alayhi wa were the, the best of them, like in the good sense. They were the goodest of them. Right? It doesn't nonsensical expression. They were the goodest of them. And they were the people whose advice and counsel was most beneficial to the people. They're not selfish people. Sallallahu alayhi wa The most esteemed of them in station were those most beneficent, beneficent and helpful to others. So the ones who had the highest rank were the ones who were helping the most people. It's with the Prophet. The ones who were helping the most people were the ones that he loved the most. Then Hussein asked him about the gatherings of the Prophet. So, so far we had in his home. Well, I'm going to end on this, don't worry. Even though now we have to cover 20 hadith next week, which I don't know how we're going to do. But the gatherings of the Prophet. We had how was he in his home? We had how was he when he leaves his home? Now, literally, the wording of it, what was his majlis like? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Salatu wa salamu alayka, Sayyidina wa sallam. He said, The Messenger of God, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would neither rise nor sit except that he would remember God. When he would go to sit with a people, he would take his seat wherever space remained in the gathering, and he would tell others to do the same. Okay. There's no reserved parking spot for the Prophet I'm not saying you can't have a reserved parking spot for the Imam or something like that There's practical reasons to have this kind of stuff um, But there's a difference between like Anyways, I don't want to open that door We'll just leave that door closed right now In the gathering, it's not like Okay, so-and-so has to sit here So-and-so has to sit here This one has to sit here Prophet would sit wherever there's space And he would tell other people when they come You sit wherever there's space Wherever you find a spot, you sit down. Keep getting lost. He would give everyone sitting with him an ample share of himself. The one sitting with him would think that there was no one more honorable in his sight than him. Whenever a person would sit with him or come to him for help, he would patiently assist him until the person would leave, or her. Whenever a person would petition him for a need, he would not leave him empty-handed. He would either give him his need or give him a goodly word. His cheerful, smiling countenance and character encompassed people such that he became like a father unto them and they all became equal in his blessed eyes when it came to the fulfillment of rights. It's very beautiful too. He was like a father to them. His gatherings were gatherings of forbearance and shyness. Patience and trust. Voices were not raised, sanctities were not violated, and odious behavior was not displayed. They were equal and only superior to one another based on God consciousness. They were humble. In his gatherings they would show respect to elders, have mercy upon the young, give preference to those in need, and look after the strangers. Even that last line, 
is so comprehensive and beautiful, right? They would show respect to elders, have mercy upon the young, give preference to those in need, and look after the strangers. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah. Does anyone have any comments or observations or questions or anything you would like to share before we ask some of our brothers and uh, ask some of our people here to maybe lead us in some salawat or sing some songs or something? Yes. Make up song. Interesting question. You took that in a direction I was not <laughs> expecting. <laughs> uh, Would you mind restating that, please? Sure. So he mentioned that the Prophet them in another narration. He was at night one time talking to his wife outside around Medina somewhere and one of the companions or maybe there was two I don't remember passed by and he told them Hadi Sophia told them this is Sophia this is my wife and they were kind of surprised like yeah I mean we wouldn't assume anything else Rasulullah and uh, so there was kind of like a sensitivity to perception uh, I think it's interesting, like there's a sensitivity per to perception within reason, right? Like you don't put yourself in a situation that is, could be seen as compromising without perhaps clarifying it, so on and so forth. So he said, considering all of that, <laughs> what, how do we think about or how do we understand or how did he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, deal with this whole, um, idea of marrying Aisha and she was very young according to many narrations and so on and so forth um, I'm not really sure how to answer that but I'll share something that comes to mind uh, first and foremost there is some debate around what her age was and I'm sure you guys can find that online if you look for it um, so we'll just put that point first second point is that he obviously knew her father very well knew her family very well but it makes it, it make it reminds me of this I was in a, a attempt like listening to a class recently and someone asked, it was a fiqh class, and someone asked the sheikh about 
forget what it was. I think it was about like one of these hadith that talks about like basically if you're gonna spit in the masjid, how do you do it? Okay. There are hadith to talk about this, right? The masjid, the masjid of the Prophet them is dirt. The ground is dirt, sand, right? So there's narrations that talk about what that would look like. So someone asked a question about it, and the Shaykh kind of like very quickly just said, this is a matter of culture, that if you were there and you witnessed it, you would understand it. And because we're not there and we're not witnessing it, there's things that are, there's a gap that we, we can't understand, like how this, how this would have made sense, how this would have been approached, how it would have been dealt with, and it's in, in all of its details. Um, I don't know if I can really say much more than that. I wasn't asking, um, I, I didn't even realize like, the age thing was important. Because, uh, I was asking more how to carry it himself when he came to the Russian. Maybe not I should have built the but like one of his wives in general. Because he is the best of characters. So I'm saying. I don't, you know, each, you can, there's a book, um, what is it called? It's by Adil Salahi called Muhammad. Not that one, the other one. Not the Sira one, the topical one. It's like purple. Um, his character and message or something like that. There's a whole chapter in there on his marriages. And like how each one of them played out and what was the story behind it and stuff. Each one of them has kind of like their own story. Um, because all of the circumstances were different. Like not all of them, you know, families were alive. Like there's all kinds of different things. So I'll just leave it at that for now. Maybe we can think about a way to deal with that. Challenge. Okay. Bismillah. Barah, how are you feeling? Can you sing something for us? Uh, Ibrahim is here too, you can sing. Alhamdulillah. You know Ibrahim? Here. Raise your hand, Ibrahim. Yeah. So, Bismillah. I'm just going to put the put the mic on the table and then you guys can do whatever you want. If people don't want to be part of that, no judgment. Ardullahi wasiya. Assalamu alaikum. Do you want to sit here? No, I don't. <laughs> this is your designation. That makes two of us. <laughs> Do you have the printed one or no? I don't, unfortunately. Alright, no problem. I can probably. Oh. You might as well want to come back. Yeah, maybe sit here if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>